In Genesis chapter 15, Yahweh confirms his earlier promises to Abraham in the form of a covenant. Today we'll be reading from the American Standard Version, which uses the name Jehovah for the personal name of God. Remember that the Hebrew language originally did not have vowel markings, and so there would often be ambiguity around how to pronounce certain words. The personal name of God, spelled yod heh vav heh was a name which the Israelites were specifically commanded not to misuse. The third commandment states in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of Jehovah thy God in vain. And ever since the Babylonian exile in the 6th century BC, the Jewish people have been careful not to speak his name at all, unless absolutely necessary. It's not commonly known what is the exact pronunciation of the four-letter name, also known as the Tetragrammaton, which in Greek means word of four letters. Modern scholarship has settled on the pronunciation of Yahweh or something similar, but tradition substitutes the word Adonai, or the Lord, in its place, with most English translation using the Lord in capital letters, wherever God's personal name would appear in print. The Jewish Masoretic text, which uses modern vowel markings, reminds readers to make this substitution by using the vowel markings for Adonai, meaning Lord, wherever yod heh vav heh appears on the page, and when you combine the original consonants yod heh vav heh with the vowel markings for Adonai, you get this new word, Jehovah, which is a convenient mashup of the two words Yahweh and Adonai. Interestingly, when using English gematria, based on the 24-letter English alphabet of the 17th century when the King James Bible was published, the numerical value of the word Jehovah is 65, which is the same value as the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning Lord. The American Standard Version uses this name Jehovah rather than the Lord as a substitute for the Tetragrammaton, and I find its use of the word Jehovah quite helpful when studying the Bible because it makes clear where the text is using the personal name of God as opposed to the word Lord or the Hebrew Adonai. It is also useful from a Christian perspective to help differentiate between God the Father, named Yahweh or Jehovah, and God the Son, who is named Jesus, but who is also referred to as Lord by his disciples in the New Testament. Christians often mistake Lord Jesus with Lord Jehovah, thus confusing the Father with the Son, and I suspect this is the reason why. Let's read from Genesis chapter 15, American Standard Version. God's Covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of Jehovah came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, O Lord Jehovah, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And he that shall be possessor of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, 
the word of Jehovah came unto him, saying, This man shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and number the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in Jehovah, and he reckoned it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am Jehovah that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Already there are some interesting details in this particular visitation between Jehovah and Abraham. It begins with, After these things, the word of Jehovah came unto Abraham in a vision. It is important to note that it is the word of Jehovah which came to Abraham, not the person of Jehovah or an angel of Jehovah. And it came to Abraham in a vision, meaning that Abraham could see God's word, but could not necessarily hear it. How does a person see words? To see a word, one must read it with his eyes, which means that it was the written word of God which appeared to Abram in this vision, which also means that Abram must have been literate and must have already been trained in the use of the Hebrew alphabet. You may recall from Genesis chapter 11 that the Hebrew alphabet made its first appearance at the Tower of Babel and that the children of Eber, after whom the Hebrew alphabet is named, used this alphabet to communicate encoded messages to each other during the scattering of peoples which occurred during that time. What was this written message from Jehovah? Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Jehovah promises Abram his protection, which was demonstrated during his sojourn in Egypt and during the War of the Nine Kings last chapter. Jehovah also had previously promised Abram not only the fertile lands of Canaan, but also that the world would be blessed through his descendants, who would be numbered as the grains of the dust in the earth. But Abram was confused by this promise, since he had no children of his own and his wife was barren. He answers Jehovah's written message with a verbal reply. And Abram said, O Lord Jehovah, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And he that shall be possessor of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And notice again how Jehovah replies. And behold, the word of Jehovah came unto him, saying, This man shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. The word translated behold is hine, meaning to look or see implying that Abram must still have been reading the words of Jehovah, which words assure Abram that it is not his servant Eliezer who will receive the promised inheritance, but rather a biological child born from Abram's own internal organs. And he brought him forth abroad and said, 
Look now toward heaven, and number the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. This promise is similar to the one made previously, where Jehovah promised that Abram's seed would be as the dust of the earth. However, using the stars for comparison really brings home the cosmic nature of Jehovah's promise, which begins here on earth, but ultimately will extend far beyond. Later on, in Exodus chapter 6, God reveals himself to Moses and tells him, I am Jehovah, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. The Hebrew expression translated as God Almighty is El Shaddai. What he is telling Moses is that when he appeared in person to Abram, he appeared as someone whom Abram knew as El Shaddai. But when he interacted with him as Jehovah, it was not in his personal physical form as the angel of Jehovah. It was only to the word of Jehovah that Abram had to show his faith. And he believed in Jehovah, and he reckoned it to him for righteousness. It is at this moment that Abraham first truly believes in the promises of Jehovah, who reckoned it to him for righteousness. It is not Abraham's good deeds which accounted for his righteousness in God's eyes, but rather his belief in God's written promises. This is why modern Christian Gentiles can also think of themselves as children of Abraham, and why it is through faith that we can be admitted into God's family as adopted children. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness, know therefore that they that are of faith, the same are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So even they that are of faith are blessed with the faithful Abraham. Every Christian is placed in the same position as Abraham, asked to believe in the promises of Jehovah based on his words alone. And he said unto him, I am Jehovah, that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Ur of the Chaldees is in Babylonia, which means that Abram was originally a Babylonian. It is interesting to note that the modern Hebrew alphabet is actually based on the Chaldean script from Babylonia and was adopted by the Jewish people while they were in exile in Babylonia and that the Magi who visited Jesus at his birth were likewise from the east, most likely from Babylonia. Even the Garden of Eden was likely in the same geographical region as Babylonia. The word for land, et ha'aretz, literally the earth, has a gematria value of 697, which is the mirror of 796, the gematria value of et hashemim, the heavens. The earth mirrors the heavens. Et ha'aretz appears over a hundred times in the Old Testament, 
as this promised land becomes the central focus of much of the Old Testament narrative. Other words matching et ha'aretz, the land, at 697 are et piryo, its fruit, otzerot, treasures, and lotasur, never shall depart, emphasizing the critical role this promised land takes in the remainder of the biblical narrative. God confirms his promise. And he said, O Lord Jehovah, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer three years old, and a she-goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each half over against the other. But the birds divided he not, and the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. This ritual Jehovah asks Abram to perform is an ancient human custom for making a covenant between two parties. You cut these animals in half and pass between the halves. The underlying idea was, if I break my promise, may you do to me what I did to these animals. When Abram inquires of God how he can be sure that God intends to keep his promises, God condescends to perform for Abram this human custom which Abram would have understood perfectly given his own cultural background. The gematria value for et cholale and all these, referring to all the animals which were sacrificed as part of the covenant, is 487, corresponding to et ebedi, my servants, et elohim, gods, alumotai, something bound, and thanaton, meaning liable to die. All of these correspondences reinforce the seriousness of this contract which Jehovah makes with Abram, a covenant between God and man. While it certainly lies within God's prerogative to fulfill or not to fulfill whatever pleases him, he makes this decision to meet Abram at Abram's own level, giving Abram complete security that God fully intends to keep all of his promises to Abram. It is truly remarkable how much respect God shows to Abram in this moment, treating Abram almost as if they were peers. Why does God make this astonishing gesture? Because Abram believed the word of Jehovah, and Jehovah reckoned it unto him for righteousness. The text notes that Abram did not divide the birds in the same way he divided the other livestock. Bet Hatzafar, but the birds, has a gematria value of 782, corresponding to Et Oseyu, his maker, Lechol Haretzot, to all lands, as well as the Greek Hitomasmenen, having been prepared from Matthew 25:34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Also with a value of 782 is Elohi Abraham, Elohi Yitzhak, ve Elohi Yaakov, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, 
from Exodus chapter 4, verse 5, that they may believe that Jehovah, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. But thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. And in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. As the person of God approaches closer to Abraham, he is overcome with a horror of great darkness and falls into a deep sleep. This time God utters his voice to Abraham, explaining the price that Abraham's descendants will have to pay for the blessings of the promised land. They will have to serve a foreign people for four centuries, but at the end of their servitude, they would emerge with great substance and with enough might to meet the iniquity of the Amorite. By uttering this prophetic description about the future, Jehovah is also demonstrating to Abraham and his descendants that he is in control of the progress of history. We will see similar patterns throughout the Bible where God or one of his prophets makes detailed predictions about the future and he offers these prophecies as evidence that he is who he claims to be. A vertical bar appears after the phrase kiger, meaning as a stranger, which has a numeration of 233. This corresponds to zechor, remember, ezkera, when I remember, uzekor, and remember, zikru, remember his, from Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else, I am God and there is none like me. The children of Abraham would come to know Jehovah their God by remembering his word and observing throughout history the truth of his pronouncements. Jehovah also mentions that the nation where Abraham's descendants will be in servitude, Egypt, will also be judged by God. That nation, Ethagoi, has a value of 425, corresponding to Naasa, let us make, Andros, man, et yadi, my hand, and gonata, knees. All of this foreshadows the Exodus when Jehovah will reveal his mighty hand through ten miraculous plagues which bring Egypt to her knees while delivering the Israelites out of bondage. At this point, something truly remarkable happens which wakens Abram from his deep sleep. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a flaming torch that passed between these pieces. God himself actually shows up in person to ratify the covenant between him and Abraham. Because of the prevailing darkness and Abraham's sleepiness, he only sees the flaming torch and smoking furnace which God is carrying, but seeing him pass between the cut-up pieces of Abram's livestock 
completes the covenant and assures Abram that God fully intends to keep all of his promises. In that day, Jehovah made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Et Abram has a gematria value of 644, the same as et regeli, my feet, indicating the feet of God walking through the sacrificial pieces carrying the torch and brazier. Meribot of ten thousands, referencing Abram's descendants, and the Greek Emmanuel, meaning God with us, from Matthew 1.23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The chapter closes with an odd pair of verses listing the names of the tribes which will need to be driven out once Abraham's descendants emerge from Egypt and are ready to enter the promised land. The Kenite, and the Kenizzite, and the Cadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Every single one of these tribal names are preceded with the word et, Aleph Tav, which suggests a gematria hyperlink. What's odd about this list is that it is a sentence fragment with no subject and no verb. Supposedly, the word et is what is called an accusative preposition, which means it is supposed to indicate the direct object of an action. For example, the first verse of Genesis literally reads, In the beginning created God at the heavens and at the earth. In the original Hebrew, the verb created leads the sentence, followed by God, the heavens, and the earth. The word et is placed before the heavens and the earth, indicating that it's God doing the creating, while heaven and earth are the things being created. However, this grammatical explanation does nothing to explain the function of the word et in this list of tribal names, which has no subject and no verb, and thus cannot have any direct objects. It's simply names of tribes standing all by itself. The word et must then have some other function here. So what then does gematria reveal about these names? And how do these additional meanings shed light on the long-term purpose of God's covenant with Abraham? The Kenites, et Hakini, means people of the spear and has a value of 576 corresponding to pneuma, Greek for spirit, as in the Holy Spirit. Surmera, depart from evil. Angelos Aletheas, angel of truth. Pasa Ecclesia, the whole church, and Phine shines from John chapter 1 verse 5, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended it not. And the Kenizzites at Hakenezi means hunters, and is valued at 579, corresponding to Stathenai, to stand, Anastethi, arise, and Devro, come, from Matthew 19.21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wouldst be perfect, go, sell that which thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me.
the Cadmonites, Hakadmoni, Easterners, is 209. And we exclude the value of et because there's no dash connecting et with Hakadmoni. 209 corresponds to achar, after. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, this should sound familiar. After these things, the word of Jehovah came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. All Chogoyim, above all nations, from Psalm 113, Jehovah is high above all nations and his glory above all heavens. And the Hittites, Vat Hacheti, meaning the terrible or the fearsome, which is 830, corresponding to Yahweh Bekirbek, Jehovah in their midst. Latet, to give, from this very chapter, Genesis 15, 7. And he said unto him, I am Jehovah that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And the Perizzite, Bet HaPerizzi, meaning rural villager, has a value of 709, corresponding to Hote, this, John 15, 12. This is my commandment that ye love one another even as I have loved you. Archie, the beginning, Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Lagusa, which says, James 2, 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And the Rephaims, Vet Harephaim, means the sunken ones, and could refer to a tribe of very large or giant men. Og, king of Bashan, had a bed nearly 14 feet in length. 743 corresponds to Leshahatam, meaning to destroy it, from Genesis chapter 19, when two angels announced the impending destruction of Sodom, and Jehovah hath sent us to destroy it. And the Amorites, Vet Hamori, meaning talkers, is 663, corresponding to Hakokabim, the stars, Boneim, builders, Hu Elohim, he is God, and Agapetos, beloved, from Matthew 3, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Canaanites, Vet Hakanani, people from the land of purple, referencing the purple dye of the Phoenicians, has a value of 612, corresponding to Sekel Mazohir, the illuminating intelligence, Grafe, scripture, and Berit, meaning covenant, a direct reference to this covenant between God and Abraham. And the Girgashite, Vet HaGirgashi, clay dwellers, is 928, corresponding to Kabod et Abika vet Amika, honor thy father and mother from the fifth of the Ten Commandments. At Peruthison, they departed from Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, and they, having heard the king, went their way, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. As we have been moving through this list, I have refrained from giving extremely detailed explanations of each correspondence, rather allowing the words to paint a picture of how various scriptures grew from the seed planted by this covenant, formed in Genesis chapter 15, less than a third of the way into the first of 66 books comprising the Holy Bible.
I think it's fair to say that the end is in fact predicted by the beginning and that Jesus represents himself accurately when Luke the evangelist says of him in chapter 23 verse 27, and beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The last tribe mentioned in Genesis 15 and the Jebusite, Beth Hayibusi, means the downtrodden and has a gematria value of 500 even. And what does gematria and the Bible have to say about the downtrodden? The number 500 corresponds to noon, now, from John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Peru ribu, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1, 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it. Ho-arithmos, the numbers, Acts chapter 6, verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem exceedingly. Sar, prince, from Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And finally, Hymen, meaning you, from Luke 12.31, Yet seek ye his kingdom, and these things shall be added unto you. Okay, so a couple, a couple sort of clarification questions. You said that the the covenant, the actual ritual of the splitting of the animals, that was a like a cultural tradition that would have been familiar to to Abraham. Abraham. I believe so. Yeah, as just a general way of of signing signing a contract. Signing a contract. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Other just sort of thoughts. There's nothing in. There's nothing in the Bible beyond that phrase about how Abraham was led out of Babylon. So it says, I, yeah, no, he says, I, he am says, the I led you out, out of or the Chaldees, okay. right? The, the thing that's kind of interesting about it is it sounds very, very similar to whenever God says, I led you out of Egypt. Right. When when he when he talks to the, the Israelites after he le- leads them to the promised land, whenever they turn away from him, he's like, hey, I'm I'm God. I'm the one who led you out of bondage in Egypt. So it's it's similar to that declaration. But he led Abraham out of basically Babylon or Babylonia. Right. To go to Canaan. Um, but is your reading of that, that that was information that was already understood to Abraham that he he knew that that um that his path had been 
influenced paved, paved that way? Yeah, or he that was a- he was told. So so I think I it's I think it's pretty clear like God was speaking to him as a voice in his head saying, get out, right? And then leave leave your home. In in this series, I I did a piece on the Tower of Babel where I actually believe that when Abraham and Sarah were in Ur the Chaldees, they were, I think they were slaves. And that and that there are some completely untold, unwritten stories about how God delivered them out of Babylonia that that are not not really told. So that's yeah, that was that was my question was what is your sense of like the editing here? Because I my overall my take on this is always gonna be narrative. Like Right. What is the parts of every story that are left out, mm-hmm. are they left out because there was only so much space because only so many stories make it in well, those I, I things think, are less important. Like, so, um, I mean, with, with regards to this particular thing, um, I actually think there's a whole lot of untold story. And, 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 you know, there's some, there's some sort of hidden narrative that was pulled out using Gematria, um, about how, um, Sarah was a prostitute, right? Um, and that, um, Abram's brother, Heron actually sold the entire family into slavery and kept Sarah around as, as he was basically her pimp. Right. Um, and the fact that she was incredible, both incredibly beautiful and barren meant that she was very profitable. And and that when Abram married her, he married her for protect to protect her. And, you know, with with the assumption that they would never have kids together, because it, it's actually stated at the moment that Abram takes her to wife, he already knows she's barren. Like they didn't spend three years trying and then determined that she was barren. He knew she was barren before he took her to wife. I, I, I believe that Abram and his father Tara and Sarah all escaped Ur um, by murdering Haran, Abram's brother. Um, oh, okay. Because because it, it, the the Bible says that Haran died in front of the face of Tara, his father. So I just assume that that was murder. Okay. Um, or justice. Okay. Um, so, so I think there's, there's quite a bit of story. And, um, I mean, I think the reason why, why it's not recorded is because Abraham or Abraham decided it was not relevant to the story about God and the promised land. Right. Um, and, and it could, it might also be that, God instructed him not to retell that story. I don't know, but it, yeah, I, I think, I think there's, there's, there's a, a whole lot that's left out and it, it just kind of starts with God saying, go to Canaan. Okay. And that's, that's really where he focuses his, his own autobiography. When he appears to him the first time in this section, he says, I am your shield, right? Right. That's any take on that? That seems to me, is that a, just a recurring uh, image? Why a shield 
at a moment when it seems like that's not what he, that's not the crux of the problem that he's facing. He's not under bodily he threat, right? He was in, well, you know, he was, he, he had just come out of a war actually. Right. So, so, I mean, he was not under threat at this moment. But isn't the, isn't the crisis he's facing right now, this crisis of I'm, I will. I, I see no way that this prophecy comes true. Right. I, I don't have the heirs. I right. don't see any way of having the heirs. Right. Um, and then God's response is, "I'm your shield." Yeah, it's right. Honestly, I don't know really um, why that's that's where he he puts his focus. I mean, other other than the fact that we we had these battles previously, right? Um, and coming up is going to be the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. So it could just be foreshadowing. I mean, there, there might be something special about the word shield. Some, sometimes words have double meanings. So there might be something there. I can, I can look it up real quick. Um, so it says, fear not, I am thy shield. The word shield, magen, Mem Gimel Noon. No, it basically just means a shield. I don't see other. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why he focuses on the shield, the shield bit. Okay, so let me let me get let me I've I've sort of two two questions to Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. I mean it, it, the great reward makes sense. The, the great reward makes sense. And I, I mean, certainly I think I am thy shield is basically means trust me, right? Trust me. I, I have your back. So, so for example, when Abram and Sarah go to Egypt and he tells Sarah, just, just say that you're my sister, because if you're my wife, then they're going to kill me and take you. Right. And he does it again with another king in another land later, right? So he's definitely worried about being killed sort right. of along the way. Right. And and so maybe God is just saying, "Look, man, I've got I've got it. Like don't worry about your safety. I have your safety covered." That's all I can think of. So it it's like a central, th it, it's a big deal, this moment, right? Mm -hmm. In yes. the story. It's a yes. big, okay. And the, mm -hmm. would it be fair to say that, that it starts with Abraham in a moment of doubt? Yes. A moment of, yeah. Very much. Right. Yeah, yeah. Especially the, about the error. The error right. thing. It, it's interesting. God says, I'm your shield. And Abram's like, no, tell me about the kids, man. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in, in, in that sense, it's like a little closer. In that sense, it's it's uh, it's the moment where, to him, reality does not conform to right. what he's hearing, right? Right. And his his sense of what can occur objectively, yeah, like, it just it sounds ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So God replies, or Yahweh replies, yeah. Um, by sort of repeating the the promise. The promise, right? right? Because Abraham, I think, is offering alternatives. He's saying, well, I've got this servant, Eliezer. Maybe right? you meant that. Right? Maybe you <laughs> meant that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and they do this again where, where his wife is like, well, I'm barren, but let me give you Hager, my servant girl. Maybe that's what he meant. Right. Okay. That, that, does, that does continue to happen. Okay. 
And he, he says, no, you're going to get it, right? right. I, I, I repeat the promise. I repeat the promise because you are, because of your righteousness. Right. right? And I, I uh, what was the passage that was the... He the, believed, he believed Jehovah and it was reckoned... No, no, the pa- there's the passage that's, that's from the New Testament where... Uh, it's Paul, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Saying Galatians, yeah. Explaining that this is the covenant that applies to to everyone, right? Right. So the the critical thing here is that this is the the question. This is some this is some question of of doubt, right? Yeah. So when when reality doesn't conform to what I'm hearing from you, right? Okay. And then I have those doubts, and then the response is, no, it, it you have to believe. If you right. believe, then your righteousness in belief yes. is what will make the thing that is not objectively appearing possible to you actually come to pass. I, I don't think it's quite that like the I don't think transactional. The, I don't I don't think it's that transactional. I think what God is saying is I want your loyalty, right? That's what I want more than your good deeds. I want your obedience. Um, and, and, and so what's, what's like, these are like obedience. Tests, okay. But, right? yeah, but, the, the, but it's strange to me because from it's a test of obedience, right? It, it's not a, it's requiring Abraham to be obedient in against in the face of evidence. Right. Right. So it is a very specific kind of obedience. It's not. Yes. It's not follow the follow my rules. Listen to me. Right. Because what I say is immediately reflected as a right. right way of doing things. Right. It seems to be a specific focus on. Trust me when what trust I say doesn't match trust me with what you over observe. your own senses. Uh, uh, right. Right. Trust me over your own senses. Okay, so that to me is like that's the big psychology mm-hmm. of that that moment, and so mm-hmm. it's you know then then there's this kind of kind of physical element of the covenant that's reinforcing that, right? right. So he says like, well, but but it's it's on a certain level it seems bizarre to me if it's it's the moment where you say you're asking me to to make a deal, and the deal looks impossible impossible right and then somebody says well i've got a contract for you <laughs> it's like right the physical contract <laughs> right. is not gonna in a, now the well, appearance the, what the, what is the con- what's important the only thing the contract does is it reinforces the the notion of yeah this is actually what the deal is right trust me <laughs> right right so I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll write you up the contract and the contract says trust i deliver you trust me <laughs> right. that's right um and and I think I think um, I mean there there's also implied is I know and you don't I know how it's going to happen and you right. don't but right there yeah. again that's the yeah. that's the crazy thing is that the 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 evidence that's given right is what will happen long after his death right so even the evidence that I can be trusted is something that you can't verify now. I can put it in the record maybe, and then right. it could be verified later. Right. But for the, the individual who's actually asked to make this, yes. to believe, right. Right. Is, is, it seems to me that the, 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 the defining feature of the covenant is, is ha- that you are asked to believe not just in the absence here, 
of evidence, mm-hmm. but in the face of evidence. Right. Right. Yes. Right. So I'm, to me, it's like, what mm-hmm. is the, what's the psychology there? Like what's, what's, well, why is that what anyone would want of any, why is that what the, the Lord wants of us, that that's the, that is the, the kernel of the covenant, right? Yes. That the, the, the most important thing that you can deliver. Right. Because to me, it doesn't read as loyalty. Like, I, I feel like loyalty is a very human, right, basic kind of concept of fealty. And it right. is much more based on well, okay. what the, I observe, the, right? Yes, I, yes. I'm, but there is, there is evidence, right? The, the evidence is, so, so there isn't any evidence saying that, that Abraham knows how he's going to have a son. But the evidence he has is this is the same guy who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Right. Well, that's why I started with so, that question. Right. Like, what? How much of yes. that already established? I think quite a bit credibility. I think here. quite a bit. Um, I, I mean, that's also why I'm kind of going with the narrative that he was actually sprung from prison. Right. Right. Also, when when Sarah was captured by the Egyptian pharaoh. Not much is said about it, but, um, you know, upon the word of Sarah, plagues struck Egypt and they don't describe what the plagues were, but there were enough plagues that the Pharaoh said, get out of here and take a whole bunch of, you know, livestock while you're at it. I do think Yahweh does have a track record with Abraham. So, so, so while Abraham does not know how this particular promise will be fulfilled, he he has seen other promises being fulfilled before. Okay, which 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 was yeah his his escape from or the Chaldees and then his later escape from Egypt and that might also be why he's talking about I'm your shield because um and and it's also his escape from that. the big war that right. he where where it was like three hundred eighteen versus five armies. So right? then then that's more loyalty. It's like you wouldn't yeah. be here already without me. Right, you know that. Yes. So then I that's have right. this. Um, and and I do th- I do think that the the main proposition of the Bible is here's all the evidence that this person is trustworthy. Just just read read all the books and you'll see right. that he's trustworthy. Well, that's where, that's right? to yeah. me that's where I like this is the interpretation here. It, the psychology of it seems mm-hmm. critical. Like yeah, because um, you can. L- at first glance, yeah. It, when I hear the story, it yeah. seems like a, a a mandate of kind of irrationality, right? right? It's a it's a mandate of obedience to something that you cannot see. That right? right? Uh, it, and and I think that there, that's the the vibe that personally, like, always freaks me out when yeah. it feels like yes the. The the rule over and over again is you can't be skeptical. You can't ask questions. You just do what you're told. Everything right. It's beyond your understanding. And then it's like that's a deal that's sounds like a bum deal. It sounds like a bum deal, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but I yeah, and I do. Th- that's also what I find kind of weird about this story is it seems like all of the information that you would need in order to know that God actually has a track record is exactly what was, was cut left out. out. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that when you sort of put yourself in the context of it, um, and, and realize that we're already 10 years into this story, that's, that's the evidence. Right. Of a story that's already arced for the better. Right. Right. That's Mm -hmm. already. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting thing too, because it's like the story has got to function both, right? It functions as its own narrative, mm -hmm. um, whether it's historical or whatever. Right. But it's also got to be a moment that, like Paul is saying, has some resonance for everyone else. Right. right. So the question is, what evidence do you have? Does every person get, or what? What is the deal that every person is getting? If right. this is a, if this is in the end is a contract that's being offered to everyone. Right. Right. Yes. Are we? Do we all have enough evidence? Are we all supposed to believe that we have enough evidence if we look carefully to recognize that the contract is already is valid? Valid. Right. Or are we asked to take this contract specifically against? <laughs> any observation of the way that the contract is not valid. Right. I, um, I would, I would there's argue a version of faith that I, that's what faith is, that it's going straight dead against. Yeah. I, I would, I would argue it's more the former than the, than latter. the latter. Um, and, and that mirrors my own journey as well, where there's this book, there's this collection of stories, there's this proposition of salvation and, and my approach is okay. Let me read the contract, right? And let, let, let me let me figure out what's being offered and whether or not it's something that I'm willing to take. And it seems that that there is that that the Bible itself offers that invitation is examine it yourself. However, the the deal when it's being offered to you by the Christian youth group leader never seems to be the think for yourself path right right but it, it may it may be that that's just the way it's being sold to you no no right? yeah, yeah yeah and there's a difference between even th this this specific question of to what extent right um it, it seems like it's such a different story if i if i've if if god has delivered right, right. and then asked you to stick with it right right, right. yeah it's based it's on a, his reputation that's a very different god. story right then if all I've ever done is make promises that seem impossible. Right. And then offer more promises you can't verify. Right. And that's the deal we're supposed to take. That's a very different, that seems like a critical. Uh, it's a big deal. Big <laughs> it's deal. a big difference. Yeah, that's yeah, a big yeah, difference. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Um, I think the way the Bible is written and the way it's presented on the page, it seems to have this duality to it where you get one sense of the story by on on the first reading and then you have to do a lot of reading between the lines in order to in order to pull out all those other details that don't seem to be written down right. and, and and once you get all that context then suddenly it looks like a much better deal, deal yeah mm -hmm. um okay next thought was just like as a take on it is it is it abraham who whose abiding desire and abiding interest is about his progeny or is that, do you, do you get the sense that that's the reason that keeps coming up and that's the focus of what, what's going to happen right? is because that's his greatest dream. And so that relates to him or is that something else? Cause it, it's, that's a weird one because it seems, uh, it seems like it doesn't become his dream until God, Gives it to him. Starts tempting him with it, right? Yeah. Um, and until he Especially offers it to him. Especially if he's married this woman he already knew was barren. That's and, right. That's right. right. 
Um, yeah, and and he seems to already be resigned to the fact that this is his lot right. in life. Because the que- the question originally that he starts with doesn't seem as as heartbroken. It's right. much more like, okay, are you, are you sure that that's right? This <laughs> right. is where we're at. I don't see yeah. it leading here. Right. Um, and so you think that's more that's that's God's focus because that's what is important is. Yeah, I, I think I think it's more God. I, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. It, it, as as the story sort of progresses, it seems Abraham gets more and more invested right. in this idea of a son, yeah, especially like the central father figure. Right. right like the whole, yeah, yeah, especially when when his wife gets involved with the promise. I think it is. I think it is his great desire, but he just doesn't say it outright. Right. Um, that's the thing he wants that he can't, that he just can't talk see, about it because right. it's there's just, no path there's to no it, hope. Right. right. Because I mean, yeah. And the other thing is it seems that God seems to know what people think and know what people want. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's that's got true that of quality. any good writer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then that's the, the, the list that you gave at the end, right? Right. And that's coming fast. So I'm trying to like kind of fast pick up on all those. Yeah, I know. Um, do you think that when, when something like that happens, where there's this kind of a sort of info dump, right? There's yeah. a, there's a big series of connections being offered and there's multiple connections being offered. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I spent a lot of time editing down sure. what I found. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so what's overall, have you found other moments where that occurs? Is this where? Yeah. Um, what does it mean sort of when that type of, when it switches into that mode of information delivery, right? Because it's mm-hmm. not in that mode most of the time. Right. right? So to break from have the, the narrative as a tool to this. Well, so so the first thing is I think that just the grammatical break is a flag to me look more closely, there's probably something going on here. The first narrative, the first information dump is just the names of the tribes, right? When, when I take that next step and say, okay, let's do the Gematria part of it, then it's a much larger information dump. But you said that even grammatically, the way that the names of the tribes were included is is wrong, is, you know, off somehow. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and because the the whole theory that the word et is your hyperlink word, um, I've listened to enough yeah. to get sort of that. Um, I, yeah. And I, I mean, I keep making the argument because I'm the only one making the argument right. and, and I, I'm, I'm just trying to head, head off at the pass, right? The skeptics. It doesn't make any sense as a grammatical tool. It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense any other way. Um, and so, and so that's, that's where I fall into the, well, let's see what the, the gematria says. And I will say that, yeah, it, it is an incredibly rich dump of information. And, and I probably only, only wrote down like 5% of what I, what I was seeing. It was this particular information dump was very messianic focused, right? right? It just, it was just Jesus, 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 right. Jesus, Jesus, all the way down. With, which, if this yeah. is like the the signing of a contract, that that's the payment of, that's then the that's sort of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. And that's why it appears right, right here after. when they do the con right. when they sign the contract. It's like this is this, this is these are the real terms of the contract. Right. 
Right. It reminded me of the thing you were saying when I talked about, you know, when when I read the statements of Jesus, that there's a kind of poetry there. Right. Um, and you said, well, that's maybe that's because Jesus can speak in a way that resonates particularly with people. Right. As a man, he speaks a language that is more ours. Um, and it strikes me that that info dump is the language that is somebody else's. Right. Like, yeah, that's. You know, to to like drop a, a Cthulhu reference, that's when you're getting that information that man was not meant to man know. was not meant like yeah. that, that's not a, a type of information. If we're going to have a teacher, we can't really be taught that way. If that information is coming in that kind of multidimensional, that's that's really difficult. Yes. Um, um, there was something else that occurred to me um, about the the parables of Jesus is. Um, Jesus says himself, the reason why I speak in parables is so that I can confuse the (laughs) non-believers. Right. Right. Um, and, and only some of the parables actually have explanations. Some of them don't. What do you do about those? Right. Right. Um, and wasn't, isn't some of that though, maybe, uh, I, I speak in parables because that Roman dude over there is listening in on this. And right now we need to like 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it's those Romans will be listening for the next 2000 years. Right. Right. They're still listening now. Right. Right. And so, yeah, exactly. And the, 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 the solution to the parable is always the same, which is ask Jesus and he'll tell you. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, and that's, that's, so if, 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 you've got a parable and there's no explanation. There's only one way to find out. And that's to ask Jesus. Okay. That's what All I right. wrote down. It was All right. Cool. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks a lot. Thank you. <laughs>